Hello and a happy new year from me, Kerry Hammond. Welcome back to the first Rural Roundup of 2024. This show is produced in association with the Scottish Government. On today's episode, George and Robert think about what Ravi Burns would have to say about farming today. They reflect on the similarities and the massive changes that agriculture has seen since the poet was working a plough. We're also joined by Phil Knott, a crofter from Sky, the vice chair of the Nature Friendly Farming Network and a facilitator of two farmer networks. Phil also chats about the value of looking back to a traditional way of farming, not for conservation purposes, but to ensure that farmers are getting the best out of their land and their enterprises. He tells us about his own crofting innovations and brings us news of a network of crofters in Caithness and Sutherland, crofting in a nature-friendly way. Hi Robert, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year George, how's it going? It's fine, um, a bit wet underfoot though. Mm, certainly that's as wet a spell as we've had for a long, long time. Um, yeah. And it just so happened that... It all came good the day we went back to work, pretty much. But it's good to see a better spell of weather. And I think across most of the country, the weather's a lot better now than it was. It's much colder. It's dry above, though. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I've run up to people trying to spread muck and things like that today. And that's what's... Um, yeah. There's a lot of work but to be done. There's guys um, starting to do bits and pieces here, but I think the if you're not desperate to do it, I think two or three days leaving things be for a while just to let things trickle away is no bad thing at the moment. I think patience is the name of the game, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely, definitely. What are you into work-wise at the moment? What's what's happening? Um, just tidying up some loose ends, really, from last year. There's still bits and bobs. Um, to get out the door. Um, I don't know. I don't know how you find things at this time of the year, but uh, it, it takes a wee while for things to get going again. Yeah, it's a funny one for us that at the end of December, Ajax feels like a million miles away, and then you come back, and all of a sudden it's looming on the horizon, and there starts there's a few queries start coming in about Ajax twenty four and things. So it's stuck. It's just a cycle of what we deal with, isn't yeah. it? It's pretty much two months time. We're 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 going at it. Yep, yep. <laughs> all hands to the pump. Yeah. So obviously we've got the Faz Connect conference. At towards the end of the month as well so it's or the last day oh, of the we month we do yeah um, we do so um, coming up on the 31st of january yeah so i've got the the job of chairing a panel with you speaking on it so that'll be a that'll be good it'll be slightly different roles than what we're doing today but certainly i, I, I think that day really quite looking forward to that um i think it'll be a really pretty awesome day when you see the lineup of speakers and, and it, this is not just a plug this is a genuine a interest in the day i think it's yeah i think i think it's it is something different and um yeah i think it's uh, it's it's going to be worth coming along to definitely most yeah. definitely so that's at murrayfield on the 31st Can with I... lots more information on the faz website as well so we shout out to that um in a similar light there's um lots of little gatherings going on this time of year um, I don't know if you'll end up at any. Of course, you're a family man now, so it's about other drains in your time. Um, but up and down the country, there'll be various burns nights coming off. Yeah, again, that's all of a sudden after Christmas, you're into that season again. So um, my uncle, actually, my late uncle, he was 
big into Burns, and I think the, the most he spoke at was I think he did thirteen Burns suppers one one year, um, and that's you know it, it's an amazing world. You know, there's, there's a lot of people not that involved in it, but there's a, a a serious amount of activity goes on at this time of year for Burns. But I, I always think it's interesting thinking about you know Burns. We know probably know less than what our parents did. Time goes past and. Um, but the farming end of things, so we're, we're in a Burns area, we are down yeah, sitting probably two miles from the, his house at uh, Alloway and then we've actually got various clients and farms that were involved with Burns or Burns was involved with. And it's amazing, it's, you know, it's still, the farming part of it's still really, really relevant. You know, it's quite, quite interesting to think back and compare what they dealt with and what we deal with. There's big differences and also some pretty big similarities as well I, I really wonder what you know obviously that was about 250 odd years ago what he would make a farming now mm. um mm. and how it's going how it's changed and how the how the farmers lots changed really as yep. well because yep. in, in that time there was a lot of tenant farmers and there was a big onus on them to improve their farms yep uh and at the time you weren't sitting in a nice comfy tractor with buttons and screens and things like that, it was hard toil, um, and it and it took its toll on a lot a lot of these guys. There's no doubt about yeah, that. I I think the one I mean, we mentioned IAX earlier on as well. Like they, there was no government support coming along to see. You know, you filled out a form in May. Here's a check in September. There was yeah. people went bust. In fact, he went bust several times. Um, you know, tenancies changed. The tenant had no security. So the tenant could be asked to leave pretty much, you're, you're out, go. And it's interesting, certainly that world has changed entirely. Where in that time, the tenant farmer was the least secure land holding. And now for a lot of our guys who are tenants, who've got strong businesses, they're actually the most secure people. Mm. Um, that It's interesting to see how that's changed. And certainly the when you read Burns, uh, he was pretty but he's pretty complimentary of some people and very disparaging of others and certainly the ones factors and landlords quite often got um got the treatment when it came, but yeah, they, he, he was very much about the common man and and almost i'm not going to say kind of class struggles and things like that but but uh yeah he fairly fairly um you know he's quite quite into this this idea of of uh, everybody being equal and, and things like that yeah yeah, the one I did my higher English personal study was done on to a mouse. So, um, obviously one one of his most famous poems. But what's pretty clear, obviously, when you do it for higher English, you get to ruin the poem for the rest of eternity because you have to tear it to bits and you know interpret everything. Um, but when you get further down, the first two or three verses is all about plowing up a mouse's nest and the tail end of it is all about now it's all about politics it's all about um you know man's place or the human race's place and yeah so what's quite clear in that that poem is the start the first two or three verses are all about how he feels sorry for the mouse and the tail end is all about how the mouse actually feel, should feel sorry for the person because being a human is really pretty tough and, yeah. and our role and now our whole ecosystem 
is so complex and a lot of that rings true right now when it comes to climate change and resource management and too many people perhaps or, or you mm. know expanding populations how we deal with the future i think his views on what's happening right now would be hugely interesting farming wise i think the kind of controversial opinion would be probably wasn't that good at farming you know at some at some points or some businesses there were making good money and expanding he was unlucky he had other things on and unfortunately for him he made he didn't make that much money out of what he did and all the money came after he died um but you know the the whole regenerative farming the whole kind of step off of intensive production it's not a step back but there's a lot of similarities to what the start of the agricultural revolution what drove it was lime clover all that stuff enclosures you know carving the country up a bit that's where we are again yeah so it would be it would be interesting to know obviously it's never going to happen but it's it's interesting to see the more you look the more more similarities you find but you 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 need to remember as well that that the, the countryside that we now see, um, you know, we're quite a mixed area and probably quite similar down with you, all this patchwork of fields and that, that's because people like Robert Burns put their hearts and souls and, and bodies onto it, really, and, and, and pretty much killed themselves doing it, really. Yeah. Um, it, it was blood, sweat and tears. Yeah. I, the one, I've spent quite a lot of my Christmas holiday being pretty cold, pretty wet, pretty miserable, uh, but you and, and then and that's in a farming context i've had a really good happy time in a warm house and you know things have been good but outside it's been pretty tricky but we've got the best of waterproof stuff we've got the best you know we've got a centrally heated house we've got a wood burning stove we've got everything going for us yeah it must have been real tough back then doing what they did and, and it's little wonder you see those you know the, what was the life expectancy back then i know he, he lived till he was 37 um and didn't die because of wet weather, but uh, it's bonkers how how actually when you look back far enough, we've actually got it pretty good. Yeah, yeah. We're lucky to be joined on this episode once again by Phil Knott, a crofter from Sky, the vice chair of the Nature Friendly Farming Network and a facilitator of Two Farmers Networks. Welcome back to the podcast, Phil. Good morning. Uh, great to be back. Thank you. So can you give us a little bit of a refresh on who you are, where you come from and how you got into crofting? Yes. Yeah, so I have a three hectare croft with my partner. Uh, I have a three hectare croft on uh, South Sky and we moved there about eight years ago. But I'd always been working in and around crofting, um, but particularly with a kind of a wildlife uh, and conservation angle, I suppose. Um, so a lot of time in Orkney, in Shetland, um, the Western Isles, some some incredibly uh, wildlife-rich, high nature value areas. And so when the opportunity to get a croft came up, it was uh, something we just we just snatched at. It was absolutely fantastic for us and our young family to have that. Um, I wanted it to be productive crofting, uh, using the land well, um, it, almost in the 3D sense as well, making sure we, we worked uh, all aspects of it, um, managing it for food, fuel, fibre uh, and nature production uh, within that, uh, making sure that nature kind of comes along as part of the journey um, and we're using nature-based solutions for that. Uh, 
So that was uh, eight years, and that's, that's led me down a, an excellent journey, which uh, led me pretty quickly to the Nature Friendly Farming Network, um, a fantastic network of, of farmers and crofters across the UK, across the four countries of the United Kingdom, um, with steering groups all over, and lots of experience from all different farming sectors, all working on productive farming, making sure that farming uh, and crofting is, is producing and uh, staying profitable where, where it can be, um, but also working with nature at the heart of it. So not conservation purposes for that, but working as much anything on the bottom line of it as well, making sure the business is viable um, and not being so heavily reliant on, on inputs and, uh, and practices which are damaging the soil. So our three hectare croft, uh, as it sits, it was put under a forestry grant scheme uh, about 16, 17 years ago. Uh, and that's quite unusual for, for in-buy crofts. Um, so when we moved in eight years ago, um, the croft was, was covered in uh, a nice smattering of mixed native broadleaf uh, trees, not, not necessarily the most appropriate species for the ground, but a good amount of shelter uh, and a high level of biodiversity with that as well. We, we had a, a bird list that was, uh, was already quite high at trees with, with eight, nine, ten years old, and that's increased year on year. Um, the benefit of having shelter early on was, was fantastic. We always wanted to do horticultural uh, practices. I like growing trees. My partner likes growing um, willow for basketry, um, obviously self-sufficient in, in uh, fruit and veg. Uh, wanted to see what we could do. So almost experimenting really with, with what's possible because sky is quite challenging ground in places. It's difficult weather uh, at times. Um, the soil is, is not the, the most productive. So we wanted to make sure that we were keeping everything sustainable for us uh, and then uh, ideally having long-term and medium-term outputs from the croft and, and each year improving it year on year. The direction I've taken with it in the last few years is to expand my fruit tree nursery. So I, I grow native trees as well, but I'm also uh, using the sheltered space and the facility of the croft to help uh, grow fruit trees. Um, the demand for fruit trees is, uh, is incredible. People are wanting to do more and more. People didn't think it was possible to, to produce fruit on Sky, but we planted fruit trees here about eight years ago, and now we have a, an orchard. We can call it an orchard. Um, not a huge number of apples so far, but the trees are all healthy, and year on year the, product, uh, the level is, is getting higher and higher. So delighted to have that. People love that part of our journey and want fruit trees and want our advice on that, and it's uh, it's been a, a consultation by accident, really. People just coming coming through to us. That led to the mentoring scheme, which is fantastic. We, if you've not heard of that, it's, it's well worth checking out. So the Farm Advisory Service Mentoring Scheme. Uh, for anyone who's classed as a new entrant, so I think within the last five years, I think uh, if you've got your business reference number uh, within the last five years, then you're eligible for um, four days of mentoring, which is, uh, which is fantastic. And that could be with anyone uh, in kind of the agricultural field in, in Scotland. And so for me, wanting to learn more about fruit trees, I took my four days uh, to go and, and learn uh, about fruit tree grafting, fruit tree propagation, uh, and all things fruit. And that was that was fantastic for that. On the flip side of that, I've been a mentor as well for Folk on Sky because of my biodiversity knowledge, because of my establishing uh, tree nurseries, uh, uh, working land for biodiversity. Uh, I've got a large number of folk I've been uh, helping often in collaboration with a few other crofters who have different skills to me. I don't have any livestock, livestock skills. Uh, I'm a veg grower, but I'm not a, a productive veg grower. So you can often work in combination, maybe do one day with me 
two days with a, a grower, one day with someone who looks who's a specialist in Hebridean sheep, for example. Uh, and that's great for a new entrant. It's, it's fantastic. So I, I really recommend that whole process. It's very relaxed and you can do it in whatever format uh, you like. And being a nosy person, as we all are, is getting to see other people's setups and, and be able to, to put into that and folk having a look around yours, that's valuable as well. I, I think having people look at your own setup, that's quite a... Yeah, not only have you got to tidy up a little bit, but you've got to justify everything that you do. Because when you're mentoring someone, they're asking you an awful lot of questions. You've got to justify your activities. Uh, and it gets you thinking. Um, and that gets you thinking about other people's. And then you're more inclined to then go and see other folk uh, on their crofts and, and farms. Uh, it, it opens your mind a, a fair bit. And especially with a new entrant mindset, because often we are quite entrenched in the, in the way we've, we've done things. Land management hasn't changed a huge amount. It will change in the next uh, next uh, agricultural and rural uh, affairs uh, act. I think it will have a big impact on us. So I think it's time for us to open our ears and eyes a little bit more to see what other folk are, are doing. I think you've you've very neatly segued us into uh, the you know a really interesting conversation about what you're doing currently with your facilitation of the farmers groups and the crofters network. Yes, yeah, so I'm very privileged. I'm very lucky to have uh, two groups uh, under the Knowledge Transfer Innovation Fund. This is something that we've run in partnership uh, under an agroecology handle for the last uh, three years uh, with our partners, Pasture for Life Association, Soil Association Scotland, Propagate, Nourish Scotland, Landworkers Alliance uh, and ourselves at the Nature Friendly Farming Network. We're running little projects all across Scotland covering different sectors. Um, when I spoke to you last, uh, I was covering a group on Isla, Jura and Colonsay. We're delighted that we had continuity funding for that. The group were really keen that we kept that going. And so I've been uh, having visits down, uh, mostly onto Isla in the last few months. Um, the sun always seems to shine when I'm down there. I'm very, very lucky with my, my weather. Um, it's, uh, it's been really great uh, as well. C continuing the work that we did, it's, it's hard to get a group really flourishing in the first year you can get them together get them all bonded get the topics out there but you really need a bit of continuity you need multi-year really to get the best out of it and to bring some of the the quieter folk out of their, their shells and for for it to be a really safe space for people to exchange knowledge it's it's not easy in farming and crofting sometimes to say you're doing something different or to say that something hasn't worked or to uh to really reach out to folk uh, and say, I want to try this. Who's tried this? It's uh, it's opening up, um, and it's not it's not uh, about changing uh, all all aspects of farming. It's about looking at um, what works, what doesn't work, and embracing what's around the corner as well. Embracing change, and for a lot of folk, that's around nature-based solutions. It's about working with nature. So our group on on Isla. Uh, and Collins say is is most definitely geared around high nature systems uh, and it's about working with biodiversity and if you've been lucky enough to go to those, uh, those wonderful places you'll know that the wildlife there is there because of the farming and crofting um, it's not there in spite of it um, and some of the, the, the densities of, of nesting waders for example is is tremendous and on the hills uh, large numbers of chuff and hen harrier um, Mushroomy butterflies, great floral uh, shows, and, that, and that's there because of the farming. We want to be able to keep that going, um, and not just for conservation. We're, we're looking at it for the bottom line of of the farmer as well, and showing that that can work. 
because those farms typically have lower inputs um, lower costs and as we all know costs have been going through the roof for all sorts of things a lot of uncertainty in there if you can work with what you've got maximizing uh, your your pasture and your your capturing of the sun and um, using the land well appropriately with with the right amount of rest at the appropriate times then absolutely you can you can work with nature and it uh, it's uh, makes it more profitable we need to make sure that that's recognized by government as well as uh, that's been a big part of of the farmers voices they're really keen that the government uh, are listening to, to these uh, productive yet high nature value farms if i didn't have enough on my plate or already i was uh, i was asked if i'd like to take on a, a second group um, because of my crofting background and this was for Sullivan and Caith Ness. So again, under the Nature Friendly Farming Network, this time in conjunction with the Scottish Crofting Federation, um, would I like to start a new group uh, up there? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, delighted for that. Sullivan and Caith Ness combined is an area probably about the size of Belgium. It's a huge area where, when you look at it. So it is uh, quite a daunting prospect. Once we've advertised it out, uh, we did that mostly last summer, um, we found the spread was actually more in the, in the northeast corner so more centered on Caithness and then areas of Sutherland around that and that's where most of the crofts are there's there's a spread of crofts all up the west coast but it's quite a, a small scattering and then quite a high density um, on the north coast uh, and down the east coast of, of Caithness and, and Sutherland so with with crofting obviously there's all sorts of aspects all sorts of sizes all sorts of operations covered um would would fantastic to have uh, we're, we're lucky to have a new group which has a real range of experience within that, a real range of operations as well. So we've got folk, uh, plenty of folk that are working with with sheep, but in ways that uh, is classed as regenerative. And that, that's that's something that we're not really hearing a huge amount of. You know, people hear the buzzwords of regenerative agriculture or agroecology, not always applied to sheep, particularly in, in crofting setups. It's quite challenging when you've got small areas of commons and uh, an inviter to, to work uh, in ways that uh, they're essentially old-fashioned, I suppose, in, in many ways, but it's not about dialing back the clock um, for conservation purposes. It's it's about reducing costs and maximising your output. So working in regenerative ways, as, as many of our crofters are, they have a higher carrying capacity. So people look at it from the environmental side of things uh, and the wildflowers and things you can get in those areas. But no, these, these farms are, are having a longer growing season um, and a higher carrying capacity and healthier animals uh, as well as part of that, um, all with biodiversity at, at the same time. Um, but there are plenty of other crofters within that group as well. We've got, got quite a few that don't have uh, livestock. So it's trying to balance up a group with people who don't have livestock at all and people who are solely working with sheep. But there are things like the soil, things like uh, the crofting story about crofting townships, all of these things uh, unite folk. And the turnout for the events has been absolutely fantastic. I think it's, it's been about 80% of the group turn up for every event. It's absolutely jam-packed. And it shows the appetite for it. And that's that's what, what inspires it. Every time you get these new groups together, people are itching for it. It's, um, there's, it's just the energy, I suppose. People are wanting to... Uh, wanting to croft actively, they're wanting to do the right thing by the land, and they're wanting to have an eye on the future, make sure it's sustainable for for themselves and for their children, and for the, the soil and the land as well. I think, you know, we, we, we haven't really been embracing the soil um, and understanding all of the, the, the difficulties of uh, our land management uh, when it comes to 
a healthy soil. And I think that's, that's something that, that has united all of these groups, even though we've been talking about grazing practices and uh, um, inputs and different farming setups and different support groups, it all comes back to the soil. Um, and I think all farmers and crofters and everyone listening really should be thinking about getting out and about on their, their unit and just going out with a spade. Maybe not today, it's ground's frozen solid here, but on other days, it's well worth just getting in and having a look at your soil profiles and your worm counts, infiltration things. All of these things are all simple, all available, all free. There's no, there's no, no one has to pay any money for these kind of things. Um, and you can start your own baselining for that. So in terms of top tips uh, for folk, I think join whatever networks you can. Um, and to be honest, if there isn't the network there that you're looking for, Ask some of your appointed bodies, if you're, if you're a member of the Nature Friendly Farming Network or the Scottish Crofting Confederation, the NFUS, ask, is there, is there a local group? Can we make a local group? Just, just be proactive uh, on that side of things. And with, with now there's, there's groups like the FAS Connect. Um, they're fantastic as well. So you can speak to your local SAC office. They're advertising for new groups um, as well. So if you think you've got a collection of neighbours that may have the same kind of interest as yourself, um, or maybe not. I mean, it could be regional. It could be folk you've not met yet, but have the same interests. You could just just put yourself out there, I would say. But do speak to these uh, bodies. Um, all these groups are, are trying to work for their members, uh, and we need to hear from folk on the ground. So uh, reach out and be very proactive. Another tip I would suggest would be for, for nature-friendly farming. Uh, well, I'll, I'll always come back to the soil. Uh, every time it's, it's, it's back to the soil. It is the, the backbone of, of all of our farming practices, whatever you're doing, whether you're arable, uh, whether you're upland, whether you're horticulture, the soil is absolutely vital. Uh, I know a lot of folk do chemical tests, absolutely great to, to get a baseline of your fertility uh, and whatever available minerals you've got. But I would say get your hands on in the soil, get, get your spade out, get out, uh, have a look at your soil profiles, uh, do some worm counts. Uh, and I, I would say look at things like infiltration rates as well. There's lots of little videos you can get online. So get, get your eyes uh, and your hands and your nose into the soil as well. You can improve almost any soil and it doesn't have to cost the earth if you excuse the pun. Um, my, my other tip um, for all farmers and crofters out there is to, to look into the mentoring schemes that are available uh, and to look at the different funds that are available out there as well. And the, the Farm Advisory Service mentoring scheme has, has been absolutely fantastic for me and for lots of other folk around here. As much as anything for, for, for folk, it, it, it kind of validates your enterprise as well. So having groups and mentoring, it really does does help. And as much as anything, it connects you as well. Um, a lot of folk are happy to put their head above the parapet on social media and, uh, and be out there and be reachable. And there's some amazing folk doing amazing things across Scotland. And I've been lucky enough to work in all corners uh, across the aisles. Uh, and there's loads of folk, but I think being part of a mentoring scheme really helps, um, I guess, you thinking about your own operation, um, borrowing good ideas, and importantly, learning from other people's mistakes. Because we don't we don't have a huge amount of time, we don't have a huge amount of resource in, in this sector. So if someone else has, has been brave before you, then that's that's fantastic. They can uh, they can help you. Thank you so much for coming back to the Rural Roundup, Phil, and uh, bringing us up to date on what's happening over on the islands and letting us know about the new group that you're working with in Caithness and Sutherland. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me back. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rural Roundup. We'll see you back here on the 31st of January with our next episode. 
make sure to tell a friend, family or a neighbour about this podcast. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.